Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, but perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And and perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's 1999. The podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a dinner table enjoying a perfectly normal pastry here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us again is the the pod whisperer, the <laughs> the guest, the guest who made it all right to change our opinions. Mm-hmm. Rochelle Lefebvre, thank you for coming back. So excited to have you. So, so excited to be here. I don't know how you're going to change my opinion on, uh, on this one unless you change it downward. 
Tots. Yeah. Ah, this I'm I afraid loved, I cannot do. <laughs> I loved Titus. Uh, and it was the best, and it was the most exciting uh, film I've watched uh, in 2021. I think, um, what a fucking thrill! Can he Wait, send me did a you see it originally in I've 1999 never, or any time? I've never time? seen it. I've never seen the play. I've never read the play. I had no uh, prior knowledge of the play, and 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 I'm not a like I'm not a Shakespeare noob. Like I'm a Shakespeare person. I you know took several Shakespeare classes in college, but for whatever I, I know the reason. No one wants to read fucking Titus Andronicus. So, um, and no one wants to teach fucking Titus Andronicus. No, yes, no one wants to be. No one wants to be near it. So, like, it's it is one of those uh, plays that unless you kind of seek it out on your own, uh, it can pass you by, which it did with me. And on top of that, like you alluded to, Rochelle, I think in an email, it is his longest play. It. Does wait? Uh, I looked it up. Hamlet is actually, I think, his longest play. Oh well, Hamlet. So this is like second game. longest. This is like it comes close. It ranks. It close. So it's 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 up there with with Hamlet. Um, it's it's uh, also not it, like even Shakespeare people like Shakespeare aficionados or what have you don't rank it particularly high in his work when everything yeah, is said yeah. and done. Not not that not that I didn't love this movie and that I don't think the play is good. I just think I think that there are purists that feel as though this movie this this play was him kind of I don't know doing something that they didn't think was all that interesting at the time. It's a far know. less romantic version of Boy Gets Girl. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, I would I would agree with you. It is not a romantic movie. It's he doesn't have a well. We'll we'll save. Let's yeah, keyword yeah, romance. Yeah. We'll go back there. <laughs> yeah, keyword but, uh, romance. But I was, uh, and the other thing is, I was not particularly looking forward to this one. Um, right. It, it looked like homework, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not. It is, it is a breezy two hours and 45 minutes. So. <laughs> but truly, I, I actually do agree with you, Kenny. I, I, saw, I saw this film in 99 in the theater, and I remember um, being pretty blown away by it. I, I, I quickly bought the DVDs when they came out, uh, and, and I was, I thought it was great. Um, but I have not seen it since. So I was like, oh, right. This movie's almost three hours long. How's this going to hold up? You know, all of that. Uh, it moves. Like, it does not feel like it's almost three hours long. Um, part of it being the performances. And obviously, it's a, it's a you know, incredibly well-made movie. But just, like, it moves. Yeah, it also has... Um, uh, it has... I can't. I can't think of another one right now. And you guys are are way bigger movie buffs and nerds in the most reverential way. I use that Thank word um, uh, about films. That. So you might be able to think of one, but um, I can't think of a movie this long um, that didn't that doesn't have like a stopping place where you're like, oh, I'll watch the rest tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. this seems like a good place to go to the bathroom. And the reason that I know this is because I tried really hard to turn it <laughs> off because I have these young kids who have the fucking nerve to wake up so early in the morning and I started it at 8 30 at night and I was like well I'll just watch half and I'll watch the other half tomorrow and there was no point in this film where I was like this feels like I could go to sleep now this feels like like I could get a good night's sleep and then watch the rest tomorrow so I just watched the whole thing through I couldn't stop I do it should be said uh, I got a panicked phone call from Rochelle when she pressed play on this doc, which which was amazing. Uh, she she calls me and she's like, "I pressed play, but I don't know if this is the right movie." And I was like, "What do you mean? What's?" And she's like, "Well, there's like a kid and he's playing with action figures in a yeah, kitchen." Yeah, I was like, yeah. "I was like, yeah, yeah, that's how it starts." She's like, "Oh, okay. it was like a weird '80s." Yeah, it was like it started like a weird '80s dystopian sea yeah. movie. Like, <laughs> 
And then and a bunch had, of people I, in, I a, in a it. coliseum, and you're just like, what? Yeah, what? And I saw it yeah. originally. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and loved it and thought that I remembered it. And I had completely <laughs> forgotten the device of the like anachronistic yeah, young Lucius. Yeah. I had yeah. totally forgotten about that. And I, I did, I, I panicked and I also only had those one or two nights to watch it and then no other time <laughs> scheduled. It's not like a movie you yeah. could just kind of slot, yeah. slot in, um, nope. in the middle of the day. It so yeah, great. so I freaked out. It I didn't fantastic. remember. I love it. The reveal is the wrong movie. I thought it was the wrong movie too because it looks like something out of uh like a, like Pink Floyd the Wall video. Yeah, or yeah, it looks yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, out of like yeah. that uh that I I hate Mondays video. You know the yes, song? sure, sure. Um, one of those British. It one does. Of those British. It does. We're yeah. we're gonna get bombed again. Uh, movies. Yeah. Um, but and the guy was, who comes in and grabs him out of the kitchen looks like yeah. a lost, uh, like looks like a lost extra from like Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. Totally, it looks like Bane or, or something. Yeah. It felt like yeah. a Brazil character. It's, 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 it has that kind of crazy yeah. Gilliam energy too. Totally. What is happening? And then he holds him yeah. up, and yeah. yeah. And then it, and then you get a really, I would, I would argue, perhaps too long credit sequence of of the various soldiers. Uh, I, I, I've become. Oh, I don't agree of, with you. I, I just. I mean, I, 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 I love the movie too, but I, I just thought it was, there's, there's two moments. It's ironically the bookends of the film where it does feel as though you could have shaved off about a minute or two from a child walking into the, into the sunset for what feels like eternity. And also <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the, the credit sequence, which, you know, I like credit sequence. So I have, wait, I have, I have thoughts about that. I have thoughts about everything. Um, <laughs> thoughts as you about should. That. We expect nothing so, yeah. else. Yeah, so the beginning and the end where you feel like you could shave off like a minute and a half on each end, right? And get and get two minutes and you know, forty yeah. whatever minutes sure, instead yep, of sure. two hours and forty whatever minutes. Um That's right. Yeah. So uh I thought about that because I had that instinct too. And it was interesting. I had two things. Well, I had one, I had the instinct of like, this is going on for too long. And then I also had a voice in my head that was like, You're wrong, Rochelle. You're wrong. <laughs> Go sit in the me. corner until you know why you're wrong. It was yeah. Kenny. And um <laughs> and and I, I think I figured it out, which is as we know, Julie Taymor, like the theatrical, right? And mm-hmm. she's honoring the theater. And I think that there was a couple of things. Number one, it isn't soldiers marching, it's dance, it's choreography, mm-hmm. it's beautiful mm-hmm. choreography. And once I gave over to the idea that a film needs to needs to earn my butt still in my seat. Every second, theater doesn't have that sort of pretense, right? Because in film, you do other things. You eat popcorn. If you're at home, you can go to the bathroom. There are like these other activities. Theater is where you sit your ass down and you shut up, which note to people, which is what movies should be as well. If you go out in public to a film, please do that. Um, But there's an expectation that you just want whatever is being offered, Right. It's not like, oh, this is like I'm, I'm on my couch for two, ex- two extra minutes here. So I love the choreography element of it. And then I think the end is it was so long, but I needed to catch my breath. I needed to let the movie settle. And I just did that while the movie was still going instead of turning it off and doing that on my way to the refrigerator for my you know, next meal. Cause now it's been three hours. Mm-hmm. I think that's completely, completely fair. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it was just. I, as I'm speaking more to the ending than the beginning, because I agree with you, the choreography is beautiful. Um, right. it, it really highlights as well. Um, it's it's a computer generated effect on top of everything. So you're just sort of like yes. you're you're really soaking in the technical 
uh, not great technical sort of aspect of what right. they're watching. So it's just sort of like, I, I, I don't disagree Maybe with you. you I'm, were. I'm sorry? I wasn't. Uh, okay. I mean, I was, you know, because I was, I, I, I sent Phil a, a shot of my it face. It was amazing. At the <laughs> end of the movie. So it was an amazing photo. Because I really, that was my genuine face. And then I, I held it. I believe you. I and then I held you. it so I can take a picture of it and send it to you. But I, I want to see it. I, I'm going to show it to you. I needed really time great. for my face to, to die down. I needed at least five to ten minutes. Here you go, Rochelle. That's how I looked like at the end of the movie. <laughs> that is amazing. That is yes. so good. And and that that really was cemented in place for a while. So really, I needed all of my mus all the muscles in my this face movie. To relax. Yeah, I know. I often we've talked about, and I don't know who originally said it, but the whole "wow him in the end." you know, idea of a movie of like, wow, your audience, leave them in sort of like a holy shit place if you can. This movie does that. This movie definitely, when you think about that dinner scene, this movie really just kind of, it goes for broke. It just, it, it's it's amazing. It does. But, I, um, I, if I was designing a poster, I was like, what would my tagline for this be on the poster? What would my, and I, I decided it would be an eye for an eye until there are no eyes left. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you're just sort oh of left God. like it's it's an amazing you know the thing that that I think is interesting too is um, there's really I mean any good people within this play are either murdered or basically murdered like there's there really isn't uh, any good people that 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 win in this movie yeah. although well, I guess I mean, you can I make mean, the Lucius, argument that the, the, Lu- Lucius yeah. Junior um, correct correct. Lucian, or, or yeah. uh, why am I drawing a blank on the on the son who um, who Lucius. kills Alan Cum? Is that Lucius? Is that his name? Well, well I mean, yeah, Lucius, Lucius is the only surviving son. Lucius goes okay. off to lead yeah. the Goths and comes and back then it's and kills Lucius's. Yes, yes, he's. But then the crazy thing is that apparently in the play, um, <clears throat> when he gives the speech at the end about the various. Uh, burials of the various people. Mm-hmm. There, in the original text, there's there's an allusion to him having killed the child, um, the 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 child of uh, of Tamara and Aaron, um, and apparently oh, the oh, actor sure. convinced Julie Tamer to to not do that because he felt as though the character was the only you know hope. <laughs> That's interesting. I totally disagree with him. Can we get him on the phone? No, I agree with you. Because yeah. I think that like the survival of the child is that the cycle continues, right? Because that child has to come back now and kill Lucius to avenge the death of his father, Aaron, in such yeah. a terrible yeah. way uh, or at all. Um, yeah. And so it's just like violence begets violence begets violence. And it's just a mise en abime and the film ends and the mise en abime is still going. You know, right. no, um, I, don't, I don't. I don't disagree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. It's like it, well, it's also sort of it's an interpretation thing, right? Which is that some people can interpret the ending of it as that this child will will break the cycle, right? And that this child won't seek revenge, and that perhaps there's hope in in these future generations. Um, this film does not seem hopeful. This play does not seem hopeful. So to kind of tack on a somewhat hopeful ending feels antithetical to to the play itself. Well, it's momentary. Right, sure, it's sure. it's just momentary. It's just when they decided to end. Obviously, this wasn't a present day set play. I think Shakespeare knows that that the cycle of violence goes on and on and on and on. Yes, correct. Um, yeah, but uh, or Shakespeare or truly Tamor. It, it doesn't matter, really matter who it is. I I, yeah. I think if there's one thing we we've shown throughout history is that um, we will keep avenging deaths until there is no one left. 
Yeah, that sounds right. I, you know, I, I think there's something interesting too in terms of. I want to give a little bit of context for this film uh, very quickly, but um, it's an adaptation of Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, an epic revenge tragedy of brutal savagery based on Roman times. Titus, the general, returns to Rome victorious, decides to sacrifice the son of his enemy, the Goths, to appease the Roman dead. After the queen of the Goths pleads for her son's life to no avail, she sets out a mission of retaliation that leaves few of the participants unscathed. It was adapted and directed by Julie Tamer. Uh, it opened on December 24th in a limited release against Stuart Little, Toy Story 2, Any Given Sunday, Bicentennial Man, and The Green Mile. Uh, it would go on to make a little shy of $3 million on an $18 million budget. It's got 68% from critics, oddly, on Rotten Tomatoes, and 86% from audiences. I think what's interesting, too, about this film is it's a Fox Searchlight film before Fox Searchlight. Not before, but sort of in the early days of Fox Searchlight. Um, and, you know, it was obviously sort of a... a a what's the last moment we can release this film in limited release in the hopes of getting Oscar nominations and perhaps uh, making some money in January or February. Um, it doesn't really get any Oscar nominations. I think the only nomination it gets is for costume design. The costumes are phenomenal. Um, I didn't get a nod for cinematography or art direction. Which I know it didn't get a nod for directing, right? And, and it didn't get a nod for Nothing. any of these performances, just, just, just which costumes, is crazy. Yeah. Like, how does Anthony Hopkins and Jessica Lange not get nominations is is kind of baffling to me, if yeah. nothing else. I mean, the whole cast is stellar. Uh, you know, uh, Harry Lennox in particular, who plays Aaron, is, is unbelievable in it. Um, it's very odd to me that this film was completely ignored um, on on the on the Oscar front. Do you, you know, Kenny, do you have thoughts on no, why it's not, that was? It's, it's it, what what's odd to me. I mean, it's it's odd in retrospect because it's such a brilliant film. But what's odd to me is sixty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's that's the thing that I, I in the moment people yeah. didn't think this was a good film, or, or at least you know sixty eight percent. That that essentially is you know a a, uh, a mass ignoring of this film, yep. which is the which is what happened. I do remember this film having a. a bit of a build-up, a bit of a lead-up. Um, mm-hmm. People were somewhat excited. These are obviously Oscar-winning actors and Anthony Hopkins and, and Jessica Lange, and it's a really deep cast. And I do think sometimes Shakespeare's bench uh, gets people yeah. excited. I remember three, four years before, people were very into the Twelfth Night ad- adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would much ado about nothing. I mean, again, you know, talking about plays outside like the six or seven that get adapted all the time. And, and um, the other 99 one, Midsummer Night's Dream, has a tremendous cast too, right? Tremendous, like these yeah, casts, and that, that yeah. Also directed by Julie Taymor, right? No. no she no, directed a Midsummer Night. There's a mid, she directed some. She might have done one. Maybe they not filmed it. This one, this not one that was one. Uh, Michael Hoffman, I believe, did. Uh, You're talking about the one Stanley Tucci as. Yes, Prox, as Puck. Puck. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that you know, that's another one that you know that's a pre-sold title. Titus is not. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Um. And I, you know, I I think that, yeah, I think what really surprises me is that uh, it seemingly was ignored by by critics. If this movie yeah. had, I'll put it this way, uh, this is the the movie that I wish got the topsy turvy love. And kind of had that slot because there was a slot in 1999 on be- on best of lists for a movie like this. Now we're talking about obviously, you know, literally 800 years of British history when you're talking about like what can fill that slot. Sure. But uh, it seems like Topsy Turvy is the one that people kind of glommed onto. And this was uh, utterly ignored. But this is like super affecting to me. 
um, brilliantly conceived. Um, sure. You know, one of those Shakespeare, ad- Shakespeare adaptations that makes you feel like uh, we haven't even scratched the surface of what to do with this material yet. <coughs> and For that's sure. exciting to me too. I, I want to just quickly read uh, Roger Ebert, who actually really loved this film, gave it three and a half stars. He was one of the critics that was sort of really clamoring for it. Uh, he says, so bloodthirsty is Shakespeare's Titus Androticus, the critics such as Harold Bloom believe it must be a parody, perhaps Shakespeare's attempt to settle the hash of Christopher Marlowe, whose plays were soaked in violence. Other readers like the sainted Mark Van Doren dismiss it out of hand, inhuman, unfeeling, he called it, and no tragedy at all if pity and terror are essential to the tragic experience. This is exactly what Julie Tamer has done in a brilliant and absurd film of Titus Androticus that goes over the top, doubles back, goes over the top again. The film is imperfect, but how can you make a perfect film of a play that that flaunts its fall so joyfully? Some critics have sniffed at its excess in visual inventions, many of them the same dour enforcers who didn't like the biblical surprise in Magnolia. I've had enough good taste and restraint for a lifetime. And I love it when a director has the courage to go for broke. Julie Tamer is the director of the Broadway musical, The Lion King, which is one of the most exhilarating experiences I've ever had in a theater. In her first film, she again shows a command of costumes and staging ritual and, and procession archetypes and comic relief. She makes it clear in her opening shot, a modern boy waging a food fight with plastic action figures that she sees the connection between Titus Andronicus and the modern culture of violence in children's entertainment. Titus would make a video game with the tattooed Tamara as Laura Croft. I don't know about that. Uh, there is no lesson to be learned from Titus Andronicus. It's a tragedy without a hero, without values, without a point, and therefore as modern as a horror exploitation film or video game. Anyone who doesn't enjoy this film for what it is must explain how could it be more. This is film Shakespeare's play deserves, and perhaps even a little bit more. Um, I, I think there, I, I mean, I never saw Lion King on the stage. Did you guys see Lion King on the stage? Mm-hmm. I've seen it twice. Um, and it I is, wish I did it is what he says it is. <laughs> is I, saw it, it, I mean, I, I, saw I can only the, assume. I saw it in the mid-90s when it came out, and I saw it uh, a couple years ago with my kids. And, um, and what was that experience it, like both times? It doesn't hold up. But uh, in the mid-90s, it, was, it blew me away. I mean, right. there's nothing like it. And and when you say that, because I know that, like, this film has flourishes for sure, and we'll talk about those. Um what was so sort of earth shattering, if you will, about her her stage of, of Lion King was the physicality of it, the visuals of it, the costumes, the way that she sort of brought it to life in this sort of I, I want to say surreal to some degree or another way. Is is would you say that like that was what was so impressive about it, or one of the things that was so impressive about it? You want me to go? It's basically. Uh... Yeah, what's so impressive about it, first and foremost, is the the, the costumes and the puppetry. Okay. Um, that is, it, it's, it's, all right, so so it, it dares you to suspend your disbelief in a right. way that plays are always daring you to suspend your disbelief. But um, usually it's easy. There's, you know, there's a history of a thousand years or plot 2,000, 5,000 years where people are meant to accept what's happening in front of you on the stage as real life. Sure. Uh, but instead of doing something that's that's cheesy or, or ugly or weird, like having people in lion suits or having people not in costume like that at all, there's beautiful, elaborate costumes that meld with the performers' bodies in a real natural way and are incredible works of art on their own and never feel, it never feels clunky or weird or uncanny valley-ish. So... And then, and the performance is like being able to like perform at a board Broadway level while also puppeteering these elaborate puppets is kind of amazing in and of itself. And then 
the Lion King rocks no matter what. I mean, I'm cold. My four yeah. my four year old is in a Lion King's phase, Lion King phase right now, and the songs just never get old. They're incredible. So, um, I think the can I add? Oh, oh yeah, can I add to that? Well, I was going to say in terms of like um, what she did with the Lion King, like for the costumes, which is one of the things I think she does in Titus. Like you can see this sort of theme with her. Um, is uh, so what you know? I, I was so struck because one of the things I'm used to, I've seen so many Broadway musicals, like I love them, and um, and one of the things I'm used to, particularly where characters are, where actors are playing characters who are um, uh, super fantastical, either not sure. human or um, my light just went out. You guys will, you obviously, oh god, what I don't even notice. Um, <laughs> You couldn't even tell. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I'm used to the sort of costume fully covering the person in a way that you just don't have to think about it. And they're just, there's no way to see the person underneath, right? If it's a tree, they're right. a tree. If they're a dog, they're a dog. Um, and uh, and what she does is there are so many costumes where there's the actor, the the human body underneath, you know, either all in black or like in some sort of leotard type covering. And then there's the costume on top, so much so that there's this beautiful um, dance where the it's masks incredible. go up and down. They're sort of like on these hinges or I don't know how she did it, but the masks go up and down as the characters, you know, as the actual performers sort of bow their heads and come back. So they are constantly moving their bodies in a way that they're, they're working the choreography of this costume that moves with them rather than their face being the, you know, um, but it, the face. And what it does that's so striking is, I think you said it well, Kenny, like, you know, she's okay with the fact that you're going to suspend disbelief. She assumes that you know you're in a theater mm -hmm. and that as immersive as it is, unless you're having a psychotic breakdown, you're not going to forget you're in a theater seeing a play, right? right? <laughs> you know, like, right. and and she embraces that theatricality and that um, that relationship. And she does it in Titus where, especially at the end, right, where she does this beautiful, that ta the tableau of the dinner taking place in the Coliseum mm -hmm. and showing the audience. It has a very sort of sleep no more quality where you can see both sure, the audience sure. and the play. Um, uh, where she just, she just constantly uses it to her advantage that you know that what you're watching is you as an audience member watching a work of fiction. She did it beautifully in The Lion King and she does it beautifully here. And I, that's part of yeah. why I love her so much. Um, and I do love her, and I think she's brilliant. I, uh, I, I would imagine as she's putting these shows or movies together, there are a lot of people who are uh, doubting and naysaying because they're so inventive. And they are, you know, when you're, Rochelle, you're talking about the people's faces versus, you know, what's happening with the puppet. They're, they're giving two distinct performances at the same time that have to kind of dance with each other, right? If you watch... For instance, if you're watching The Lion King and you only watch the performers' faces, you'd get the you'd get a performance. You'd understand what's happening with the with the show. They're not trying to hide, right? There's not a, there's not camouflage going on here. Um, meanwhile, if you only watch the puppet, because there's some who are actually doing puppets with their hands, and there's some who are wearing these elaborate costumes that are like puppets, uh, you get another performance that also was satisfying and also felt you know important. And what what you're normally doing, I think, what everyone's doing is you're watching both. And you're kind of marveling at what's happening in front of you. But I would imagine as she's putting these things together, there are people saying, uh, doubting her every step of the way. And sure. she must get so fucking exhausted being like, just trust me. And the thing is, she's right. As Griffin Newman has said on his podcast, and it's true, 
The Lion King Broadway musical is the most successful entertainment property of all time. Period. End of story. Audiences went along with it. You know, like <laughs> audience, yeah. audiences, and, and there are always going to be the naysayers. There are always going to be the doubters. There are always going to be, be the people who say, well, I can see the, the performer right there. And doesn't, they can go jump off a cliff as far as I'm concerned. And anybody who can't get down with a movie like this, for instance, I'm just throwing this out there because there are motor cars in it, can also jump off a cliff. Yeah. You know, well, it's, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because you, you've hit on something that I think is, because Julie Tamer's career in filmmaking, not not in in the theater necessarily, has been, I don't want to say bumpy, but she has notoriously locked horns with producers on basically every movie that she's done. Um, and she hasn't done, unfortunately, that many of them. She's done this film. She made Frida in 2002. She did Across the Universe in 2007. She did The Tempest in 2010. And then uh, recently last year, a film called The Glorias, uh, which is about Gloria Steinem, uh, which Amazon just kind of... It was just out of the TV uh, movie, right? Just, or it was Amazon, yeah. It was Amazon. They just kind of unfortunately dumped it. Um, you know, the the probably the most notorious is, is our Frida and Across the Universe, of which she... Uh, her and, and, and Weinstein did not get along on Frida, um, which I think could have been a brilliant film. I think there's a lot of wonderful stuff in it. I quite like what's there, but it does, you do sense that, that there's shenanigans going on, uh, you know, on set and in the editing room. And then across the universe, she also, um, clashed with Joe Roth at the time as well, um, in terms of, uh, of that film. I think Across the Universe is actually a beautiful movie. Yeah, I like I think it's actually a, I think it's a great movie. Um and a movie that that does not get the love that it deserves. Um but but I agree with you Kenny, which is just get out of her way and let her do what what she wants to do because she's obviously a genius and it's it's crazy to me that there is the pushback that, I think that you there know is. Why. I mean, unfortunately, I think that 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 her gender probably has a lot to do with it, unfortunately. I- and listen, I, I, I obviously support this notion. It's true. Um, and, uh, and I don't want to diminish it at all. So we'll let that stand alone. But I would also like mm-hmm. to add to it that, um, there is this, uh, there is a, a nice tradition in filmmaking where producers will hire a director who is extremely unique. They've seen their other films. They know what they're signing up for. And then they want something completely different. <laughs> you yeah. know, and then they, they let them get on, they get on set and they go, wait, what are you doing? And it's like, yeah. Didn't you think see the thing where I did the you know the trippy thing in the background with the yeah. what part of what what who did you who do you think you hired why didn't you hire yeah. the other person otherwise so this is it also never, just something it never that ceases to I couldn't agree with you more and it never ceases to amaze me um, did you read the script right you know did you, did you you read the script you saw the scene you knew it was there and then did you did you just think oh well I'll fight them on this later I'll get them to cut it later or did you just not think that I was going to shoot it like I just I don't understand right. did you spend the four months of pre-production working up the courage to talk to me like what what is what's happening here hiring julie Taymor is a choice and and it's not she she is not a a a journeyman director for hire she is a artist with a very specific vision um if if you think you were just gonna put from the creator of the Lion King musical on your poster and then get the biopic of Frida Kahlo you thought you wanted, then you don't understand who you're hiring. 
And I think that this does, you know, like, again, going back to playing check, like this seems to be the story with Elaine May. And this seems to be the story with Julie Taymor. And if yeah. there's a, I'm, you know, again, I'm not necessarily the right person to ride for this, but I do think it's important to point it out. Uh, if there is a female director whose vision requires money, then they always yeah. seem to be uh, pushed back to the point where they Say go fuck it. I'm not go fuck yourself. I'm not going to even make movies like this anymore. And you yeah. miss out the opportunity to, for instance, a guy. Now he won Oscars, obviously, but a guy like Oliver Stone spent 20 years of his career without anybody pushing back at all. And sometimes you get movies that are horrific that way, and sometimes you get movies that are brilliant. And that's the gamble you're making. That is the the game you are playing. Um, mm-hmm. That should be the same situation with a director like Julie Taymor. Um, but my sense is the the kind of people who would finance her movies and produce her movies, your Joe Ross, or your Harvey Weinstein's, uh, just didn't understand that. Well, I think it's I think it's also just to uh, very quickly I, I, on the DVD there was a, a making of it was about an hour long documentary about the making of the film um, where you obviously get a real sense of of what she is like and the reality is um, she doesn't suffer fools. And she fucking knows what she wants and she's going to get what she wants. And I think to your point, Kenny, unfortunately, these men in this business, most of them producers, um, although she did clash with Anthony Hopkins, and I want to get your guys' opinion on that in a second, in terms of a very sort of uh, a linchpin of the character. But but it's she, she, she digs in her heels and she stands her ground. And you can really sense that in these in these uh, uh, in this documentary, as she should. She's the director of this film. She has a vision of this film, and this is the way that she wants it. And I think that that a lot of these producers, uh, mostly men, have just thought that women know the role and will back down. And she just won't. And, and I and I respect the hell out of it. Um, I I I'm not going to continue with that point because I think you've both said it very, very well. And I don't feel like just because I'm a woman, I have to like weigh in in some other way. Um, I think you've done a really, really great job of making that point. Um, What I want to add is how it's received as an audience um, and the critics. Uh, I also have to question how that's received, knowing that it's directed by a woman because um, uh, not to be reductive of either film, but both Titus Andronicus and Kill Bill have a strong revenge porn element. (laughs) Right. And when a guy like Tarantino (laughs) makes um, you have a visitor, (laughs) when a guy like Tarantino makes revenge porn, everyone wants to go on and on about the minutia of his genius. Right. And when a woman makes a revenge porn film. Uh, it's, 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 it's given like the, the best for 68% says to me that they went, this is as good a film as she could have made out of this material, but there's room for someone else to do better. Yeah. And I don't want to turn your podcast into, you know, a, a, no, you're, you're a lecture right. about misogyny or, um, or sexism in if audiences or critics, lex- but if you have a lex- lecture, this is the podcast to do it. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Be, be, I think because, I just gave it. Because where the fuck else are you going to do it? One. And, 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 and. You know what I like, like to do it, Kenny? When my husband comes home from a long day of work. That's when I like to do it. Well, give the guy a break. Do it. Yeah, right? Give it to our audience. Come on. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like if, if that's what's on your mind and if that's if that's what's, you know, if, if that's what is relevant to the re, if that's what's relevant to the reason why this movie wasn't appreciated in this time, I think that is valuable. But um, again, uh, 
You yeah, know, I think it has a little bit of if it was made by a dude. I think it's. I think it gets a little more of a, an audience going, "Fuck yeah." That's what I think. Well, it's. I, I. I agree. I think. I think that this. First of all, this movie is. Um, I mean, this movie's violent and crazy. Like, it's not as though this film is is you know, I, like you could. And I again, I. I don't. I don't uh, adhere to this idea, but that you could you know paint it with the it's feminine or it's soft or it's something along those lines. Because this film is not that. Like, this isn't the type of thing that you could you know that you could say. Well, you know, clearly a woman directed this, quote unquote. If if that was something that you wanted to do, um, so. I don't even really think that it fits into that box. What's interesting about the Anthony Hopkins thing is, so they disagreed about Titus's mental state throughout the production. Julie Tamer felt that Titus is, is faking his madness to a certain degree, but that he is actually mad himself. Like that he has lost his mind, but that to some degree he's also faking it. Whereas As Hopkins, in mad with grief? As they say, well, yeah, I mean, I, yes, in terms of like, there's a turn which we'll right. get into with with uh, Lavinia, where you could conceivably say that that he breaks to a certain degree, and right. that from that point on, it's just revenge, and that's all he has, and and it's just a sort of a spiral of madness that kind of continues from that point mm. on. Hopkins felt that Titus is completely faking his madness, and that he's completely sane. What are your? Where do you guys land on this in terms of of the reading of the character? <laughs> I have I have an Silence. answer, but Kenny, if you want to go, <laughs> uh, you go ahead, Rochelle. I have I don't have an answer. I have a question after. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I, um, I, 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 I guess my I guess I agree with uh, Anthony Hopkins. Um, Interesting. I do agree with Anthony Hopkins, but I um, I don't. I might be in the middle. I don't disagree that there is a uh, you know a mad with grief that there is a turning point that there is, that like you know our our brains are for survival and some cognitive dissonance is required in order to go forward <laughs> in certain sure, circumstances, sure, sure, right? Sure, like there's some compartmentalization, and so after what right. happens to Lavinia, after La- poor Lavinia goes the way of poor Philomel, um, then I do think that there is uh, something in him that that snaps or breaks or whatever the word is. Um, sure. I'm just not sure that it's madness in the sense of the way that you sort of take leave of your faculties. I think it's, I think it's grief stricken. Um, But I also think the element that makes him mad and sane at the same time is the idea of a character who has nothing left to lose. And that is a kind of madness, right? The sort of like, um, sure. The sort of falling down type break where it's like, you know, I, I'm just going to go falling down. I, 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 I see myself as someone, whether how the outside world sees me has no bearing. I see right. myself as someone who has nothing left to lose. And I know that the only satisfactory ending to my story is death. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and it, that is a does, place where yeah. he, I feel, arrives at. For sure, for sure. I, I think that, I think that Hopkins seemed again I was not there he seems to be searching perhaps for something a little bit more binary than yeah, I think that's what Julie I was gonna is. get at. yes yeah I think that right. Julie sees it as a more fluid sort of situation and I think he wants to lock into something that's black and white um and and sorry Kenny go ahead well now I, I wanna, disagree with him if that's how I want to ask <laughs> I want to ask you something Rochelle because all right mm-hmm. so I I 
this has to go this 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 disagreement this conversation cannot exist in a vacuum Mm -hmm. um they're making a film together but in your opinion rochelle what control does an actor have over the interpretation of his or her role and what interpretation uh does the director have um over that role in concert with in this case her larger vision for the film and just to kind of backtrack just a little bit onto something Phil said earlier my feeling in general is making a film is not really all that different from building anything else in that if you were building a table and someone said to you uh the left front leg should be three inches shorter that doesn't work right even if it looks better or feels better or whatever if she has a vision for this movie this film and it it, it needs to be you know calibrated a certain way i do think she has the authority to say uh i want it performed this way now that might be from that that might be informed by where i sit during most productions so rochelle what's your feeling about that can I add one other thing to, to this question, Rochelle, as well? Just because, I, and I think it's worth noting just sort of the way you ended that, Kenny, which is we're also basing this off of a play that was written many, many, many years earlier. So there's this interpretation of what Shakespeare had well, intended too. So there's that added sort of the mix. But, and, and obviously, famously, there are so many different interpretations of, of everything course, of course. he ever yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there yeah. is n- is there a right or a wrong? I mean, there are I mean, sure certainly not, no. things that feel wrong. All right, go ahead, Rochelle. I'm done. <laughs> no, no, go, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, when it comes to Shakespeare's plays, uh, there are option A and option B and options that have never been explored. Um, there are things that may be wrong. Right. And I'm not even ter- in terms of like that weren't his intent, like I, things that may be a wrong interpretation based on everything we know and understand that don't actually work within the context of the larger player, the context of history or the context of his oeuvre. But um, but th- these things don't necessarily seem neither of these interpretations seem outside of the realm of 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 acceptable. And my feeling is I would default to the director, but I don't really understand the process that Anthony Hopkins is undergoing here. So you do. Right. So I would say, um, so a couple of thoughts. So first, I think it's a really, really interesting question for a film, which is based on a play directed by a director who eats in the theater, um, uh, who, you know, really uh, is just so unbelievably um, talented in that domain. Um, Because, well, for two reasons. One, uh, the the easiest debate um, for people who are maybe, if if anyone is feeling a little sort of distanced by this, it it gets a little inside baseball. You know, if anybody's feeling a little distanced, one of the, one of the sort of biggest um, examples of this that people like to bring up is the idea of the character playing, you know, the audience gets to decide whether Hamlet is crazy or doing all of this on purpose. And uh, it doesn't matter if the audience is arguing out in the hallway, but the actor better know. (laughs) 
right, right? Right, right, right. And a lot of directors want to take on Hamlet because they have a strong opinion about whether or not Hamlet is sane or whether he's insane. And they cast an actor who will portray it the way they see it, right? And they sure. want to explore either themes of these sort of grand manipulations or they and genius, or they want to explore madness. Um, so I think that it's an interesting question because it comes up in the theater, especially with Shakespeare. And um, Hamlet is the most famous example that I know of. Um, I don't, I think that that's something that resonates for me in terms of like, Anthony Hopkins pushing back and wanting him to be sane is that um, actors are you have to you have to have something to play. Right. And you can play madness, but there's no agency in that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it's and it's not actually as it's not as compelling to watch as people think to just watch somebody be crazy the same way. It's not as interesting. Like the reason actors, the reason some actors get drunk and some don't, and that there's an argument made by some of the great acting teachers not to get drunk when you're playing drunk is because what's interesting is the motivations, the drunkenness just allows, or the madness just allows for the true motivations to take shape, right? right? It allows what, who is the person really, what's really happening without any control and any of the boundaries and limitations that sanity and, and, and fitting into society put on. And so as an actor, the question you really have to be, to answer is not how do I play madness? Because that's not a thing. There's no agency in that, like I said. It's who am I really and what do I really want? What am I really doing? And now that the inhibitions and the adhering to societal norms and all of that has been stripped away, what's really coming out? And so it sounds to me like, I don't know. I just, I wonder if there's a possibility that what Anthony Hopkins was, what he, it's so, he's so great. You have to say both his names. I can't say Anthony or Mr. Hopkins. Anthony <laughs> Hopkins. Sure. Yeah. I just or, wonder or if Tony he was, we weren't there, but I wonder if what he was really right. trying to get at is not that he's just totally fucking mad, but what is this character actually with an eye still on the end game, right? What are these characters actual like, motivations because he doesn't just go mad he's myopic in his madness he has a singular focus he knows he still knows what he wants i i I love what you're saying it's it's unbelievably boring to me uh (laughs) when a character is just is is just painted as a crazy person or a mad person Mm -hmm. um for all the reasons you're saying yeah when i'm in a room and a character's motivations are yada, yada, yada away by saying, well, that person is crazy. Therefore, they can do anything. Uh, I want to run out a window. Um, I just or jump through a right. window. I, it's just it's just so. So we have we have decided it is unimportant to actually build proper character motivations. We have painted them with a brush that we don't even understand. And um, and, and, have, and have used that to to explain why we're not doing our job. Um, right. So I I think I, I I think it's very different than than act than than performing crazy. Sure. Um, I think that, but but I, I it probably comes from a very similar place. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, no, it's I, one I of those. That, are, sorry, go ahead. I was I was just gonna say that I think what we're all kind of circling here is choices, mm-hmm. and that as an audience member, you need 
to feel as though choices are being made to a certain degree, right? That there's that 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 these characters are doing things for reasons X, Y, and Z, and when it feels as though they're not doing that for any particular reason, to Kenny's point, it's not just boring; it's unmooring, and you if, just find yes. yourself just being if like, so and so is crazy, right. quote unquote. Do yeah. the work to show how crazy they are. Right, right, right. right. And the reason that it la- that the reason that it's boring is because it lacks specificity, right? People are not just crazy, right? If yeah. someone talks to themselves, right. you can't play a character by just being like, well, I'm just going to talk to myself all the time, or I'm just going to say weird, random shit at random, or I'm going to laugh in the wrong place. That's not how right. it works. People who talk to themselves hear voices. And I can not tell all of them. just as. Uh, not all Sometimes. of them. I talk to myself. I hear my own voice. Um, right. I talk to my own voice. Um, constantly. Which, by the way, uh, is also a kind of crazy. Discuss. Um, but so, but so, you know, you can tell when you're watching an actor who's just being random, as opposed to an actor who knows exactly what's happening on the other side that we can't hear, or a motivation that we can't feel, or that we wouldn't interpret as rational, but to them makes perfect sense. These are the components of madness that have to be really, really well thought out in order for it not to be just random and boring, like you said. And so I don't think that Sir Anthony Hopkins would disagree with us, nor do I think Julie Taymor would. I think ultimately, um, probably what the reason it never got resolved is they were having a it sounds like they were having a disagreement about something that is so nuanced that you could actually argue about it forever and never make the film. Well, it's it's also all of this speaks to you know, arguably Anthony Hopkins' best performance, which is Hannibal Lecter, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a character who, you know, was obviously so broken down in in you know within the the book and within sort of the 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 science of it, and and he was a fiercely intelligent character. Like I think that that Hopkins, it seems, and again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, because um, I will say that that I do see shades of Hannibal Lecter near the end of this film in terms of his performance, in terms of sort of how kind of broadly he plays him a little bit near the end. Um, and, and once he's either playing crazy or acting crazy, whatever it is, there is sort of this heightened theatrical quality to the way that he's performing Titus that feels a little bit like Hannibal Lecter, that I wonder whether or not he was looking for something similar to hold on to. Uh, who knows, but it, it seems as though perhaps that was what it was. Here's what I will say, though. In 2002, Anthony Hopkins confirmed that he found this experience working on this film so stressful that he decided to retire from movie acting. So he, for for, for what it's worth, uh, him and Tamer clearly went at it, and he was just like, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I appreciate that Julie won, that he, he retired briefly. Maybe they, maybe, I mean, I'm sure it was a... I'm sure, mutual, no, whatever. The, yeah. the... <laughs> The, the the fiercest fights always seem to happen like when people are this close, you know, like sure. this that's what I'm saying. Like where you yeah, realize yeah. that actually we're talking about the same thing. We're just you're hovering, uh, you're hovering a millimeter to the left of the net, and I'm hovering yeah. a millimeter to the right. That those sure. are the worst kinds of conflicts to find your way out of. The hardest, mm-hmm. and sure. you would, you know, if 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 either one of them didn't care about this movie deeply, they'd give up. You just give up the right. fight. Right. You just, you right. know, you, you, you'd go out and do the thing the other person says and go collect your paycheck and go on to make, um, you know, instinct, right, Phil? Right. So, you, you know, you never know. Indeed. What he's 
Yeah. The thing I wonder, you know what I have to wonder? So, you know, in theater, um, theater is terrifying for directors in a particular way that film is not always, um, which is in theater, you can do everything right up until curtain. And then the curtain lifts and your actors go on stage alone. And as a friend of mine used to say, as a theater actor, if I want to go out and stick my thumb up my ass and sing the national anthem, that's what I get to do. Right. Right, 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 As a director, your control, your your loss and lack of control is utterly complete in that moment. I love that. Um, And uh, and so I I wonder if there's for 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 directors who do both or who come up in the theater, I wonder if there's a kind of a, a holding on. You know, and trying to trying to control it as much as you can until the moment of performance, because it feels like that's where you lose control. But actually, in film, you get it back because you get editing, you get ADR, yes. you get reshoots, you get so much control um, that actually a lot of um, a lot of actors uh, that I know sometimes just I've seen things where they're so passionate, but they walk away because they know that ultimately, even if they win the battle here on set, they're going to lose it in the editing room because they won't be there. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's I wonder also, if that wasn't a factor that maybe, you know, she sure, didn't realize sure. in the moment or I'm sure well, there's nothing it's, she it's doesn't interesting. realize. I, I totally agree with you. And, and it's, it's why, I mean, I've been on sets, um, I'm sure we all have, where, you know, an actor doesn't want to say a line and a director will be like, just give us one with that line. The actor knows oh, the old, the just one give us give, one. The one that they, that's the one they're going to use. Like, it's just, it's, it's, you just know. There's this a, is why a lot of the, sort of resign yourself to that control issue. So. Yeah, no. And a lot of, and a lot of the reasons why some of the most, um, the most common arguments I see on set. Uh, or that I've had on set sure, are sure. the just, uh, or just, you know, disagreements or whatever, um, are just the, you know, just give us one. And the actor going, no, because if I give you one, then you have it. There's no such thing. You only use one. And if I, yeah. you know, and in that sense, Anthony Hopkins is right. It is binary. Yes. Yes. Totally. Totally. You know, um, I, I want to kind of, I want to dive into the plot because there's a, there's a lot to unpack. Um, I don't want to tell this is really, really compelling stuff to me. It's it, like I, I think that this is a really, you know, interesting, you know, uh, uh, argument in the context of this film or discussion in the context of this film. Sure. Th- that neither of these people uh, have complete ownership over because it was written sure. by William Shakespeare and has been adapted by many people. <laughs> they yeah. both have just really, really strong opinions about what this film is supposed to be. And it's getting it, it's really making me think of it uh, in terms of of directing. In terms of directing and control, and when you see control and when you take back, back control, I mean, I like to think I'm not a director, and I don't want to direct. But if I did direct, that I'd like, I'd like to believe I would hire actors who I uh, respect, and I would take what they gave me, and then try to build something that I thought was, you know, wonderful out of the pieces I was given. But that also speaks to my in a that also speaks to why I don't want to direct. Because I don't want to make the big decisions, right? I don't want to make the right. big decisions from you know from 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 day one of pre-production. I want to collaborate and have a, and and take everything everyone else is is willing to give me and get that on film and then make decisions post. Mm-hmm. But there are people like I, 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 I really think Julie Taymor seems like the kind of person who knows what every frame of her film is going to look like and sound like and feel like before she starts rolling. And I think a deviation from that is probably a bit of a short circuiting. So I, I think that is kind yeah. of where this this comes from, maybe. And it, you know, I 
as wonderful as uh, Sounds of the Lambs is, and it's one of you know the greatest films. I, Jonathan Demme's not that kind of guy. I think Jonathan Demme takes what takes what he gets and collaborates, and and he's a filmmaker. He's been making films from when he was making garbage films. So he he he's, he was you know, pumping them out in the late seventies. Sure. Um. So I I do think that that's a you know the, the the different the different ways of approaching filmmaking is really really interesting and must be difficult for an actor working with all these different well, lunatics. I, I think it's also worth noting too, and and you were sort of circling this, Kenny. But you know, this is her first film, right? I mean, she she has not directed a film before. Julie has not done a film before, and and in this documentary about the making of it, you really do get the sense that um, she finds it, I don't want to say overwhelming, but there's so many more moving parts and, and pieces. She even says this on the documentary in making a film than making, than, than, than directing a play. Um, and that it's, it's, it, it kind of blew her mind how many choices have to be made at any given moment. And I think that, to your point, Kenny, I think it makes it, she's that much more locked into her vision, right? She's not going to deviate from it, especially this first time out. Why would she? You know, why would she? So so it is sort of, um, it's kind of a recipe for a situation like the one she had with Hopkins, where it's like, you know, this is how I see it. See it the same way, or at least give me what I'm looking for and let's move on. And I guess that that, uh, I would also say too, you know, the, the subject matter of this, play and movie is harrowing and i imagine that if you're an actor in this film especially if you're if you're um hopkins or lang you're you are going to a very dark place um you are going to a pretty nihilistic place and i think you know whatever bearing walls you can find in this darkness i think is incredibly important um and i imagine it has to be sort of you know, uh, discombobulating, if you will, when a filmmaker is saying that wall doesn't exist to you. You know what I mean? Right. I, I imagine that has to be scary. I don't, I'm not an actor. I was actually thinking about that when you said um, that, you know, in two, I didn't know that it, that, that in 2002, he was like, I quit. <laughs> I'm never doing that. It was so I quit. I'm out. I quit. out. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. And the thing that I was thinking was, you know, well, interesting, uh, but how much of that is actually just a byproduct of going, I never want to feel that way again. Sure, and it's sure. much easier to, to relate afterwards to the human experience that was yours, right? That, right, that right, Sir right, Anthony right. Hopkins was having, um, as opposed to going, uh, I never want to feel like Titus again. Well, I never have to be Titus again, so it'll be fine, you know, <laughs> instead. Right, 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 right. Right? Which is not what actors do. And especially not when you're as great as he is and he's, you're fully inhabiting and fully going there. Those are wounds that are going to follow you home. Um, so to project that onto the entire film experience is not something that I think is unusual. No, I mean, and I imagine that 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 an experience like this, they had three weeks of rehearsals before shooting this film, which I guess is, I mean... I don't know if that's, that's, that doesn't seem normal, but it also doesn't seem like it's an enormous amount of time. Um, but they had three weeks of rehearsals before they shot it. Um, and then they, you know, they, they go to, they shot the whole thing in, most of it in Italy. Um, it, it feels like a very immersive experience that she was putting them into. And that's, as I said, sort of a harrowing thing to go through. Um, you know, Jessica Lang, in particular, in the documentary, was so sort of um, eloquent about. First of all, she seemed just just plain uh, gleeful 
in terms of playing this role, right? Like she was just, it is, it is such a vicious, uh, um, full full sort of bodied performance but um she she talked about sort of that she was but that she felt like even after the three weeks they didn't even scratch the surface of the of the character like that i imagine that that has to be exciting too as an actor where you just feel like there's an ocean of depth it's all dark and fucked but like there's a lot going on there um so i imagine that has to be exciting but also imagine frustrating too depending on the situation yeah i think that um and now I'm going to take us off track, but it's it's tangential. It's not like totally unrelated. Um, but I think that you know uh, they had Titus and uh, and Tamara are both having experiences that one would like to think uh, Jessica Lange and Anthony Hopkins are not having in their everyday lives. Don't even closely resemble. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Um, sure. And so as a result, it's so immersive and it's so it it's so. Is he agreeing or dog. disagreeing with me? That's all I want he to know. He does not agree with your <laughs> thoughts on Well, this tell him to come dog. to the mic and say it to my face. <laughs> um, um, having an experience that is that immersive, right? And being like, oh, that was so, oh my God, that was it's just, fuck, I never want to go there again. But then yeah. when I think about Jessica Lange playing Tamara, there are a lot of things where, yes, this character was so it was so out there and it was so big and so right and you can't scratch the surface but every experience that she has is highly relatable and sort of uh, and sort of has a little bit of just another day at the office of being a woman um in the way that titus does not right Right. so like the things that happen to him are so beyond the pale (laughs) um that it's like oh god right but for tamara let's look at some of the themes right oh Oh, she's a mother who uh, who loses her son to the to the dogs of war, to the men, loses her son to the men who make decisions about war that she doesn't get to participate in, has no seat at the table, but is is expected to nobly and and almost, you know, and patriotically donate the lives of her son. Right. And then um, and then uh, is whether she will live or die. Uh, and how she gets to portray her grief and how her grief is received, dictated yeah. by men. Then she has to marry a man she wants nothing to do with, probably loathes and finds repugnant, um, mm-hmm. has to marry him and smile sweetly uh, in order to survive and give of her body in ways to survive, right? And loves her sons, but also always in a strange sort of either overly intimate way because she's holding on to them in a way that is like in a incestuous clinging again, because she knows that at any moment she will be asked to sacrifice them and just take it with her tea. And, and so there's okay with losing those guys. Well, you know, although she's poisoned that poisoned that well, pretty, uh, I mean, I, right. But if you have kids, but if you bear your children, right. If you, if you have them in your womb and you, if they're flesh of your flesh and there's all that, right. So I don't Mm. know. I'm just Um, saying you can go on and on and on. My kids wind up like that. <laughs> you can Bonjour. go on and on and on, but in a way, Tamara is having an experience that is just what it is to be a woman in the world. Sure. And mm-hmm. nothing. When I watched it, I was like, "Oh, Titus, this is so fantastical." And I watched Tamara, and I go, "There's nothing fantastical about it." Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that, and this sort of does get into the plot because I do think that 
Good. We should just, talk just, about what happens. We, we should happens. talk about the plot. But but I, yeah, a, a lot happens. But essentially, uh, um, Titus comes back from war, brings back his quote unquote spoils, which is Tamara, Queen of the Gods, and her sons, uh, and Aaron the Moor. Um, Titus sacrifices Tamara's eldest son, uh, Alarbus. Alarbus. So the spirits of his 21 dead sons might be appeased. Um, Tamara eloquently begs for the life of her son, but Titus refuses her pleas. Um, she's amazing in that scene. Jessica Lang begging for her, for her son's life is, is unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's one of those ideas of like, you can't equate a life for a life. Titus lost 21 sons. She's losing <laughs> one. Um, you know, the, the, you can't really sort of equate these, these things, obviously. Um, but war is war and revenge is revenge. And this sets her off. And basically the machinations of plot being what they are, there are two brothers, uh, Saturnius and Basinius. Bassius, um, Bassius, Bassius and Saturninus. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sure. I think um, it's Bassius. I, I believe it is Bassius, yeah. Yeah. Saturninus, Um yeah. Played by uh, Saturnius is played by Alan Cumming, um, ba- Bassius, Bas- mm-hmm. Bassinius. Bassius. Uh, he uh, is played by um, Frayne uh, or Frayne, James Frayne. The- James Frayne. Um, both are amazing. They're squabbling to figure out who's going to su- secede the Emperor of Rome, Caesar, and who's going to play, who's going to be the, the new king. Um, Titus is voted as by the people of, of Rome as the, of the person to do it, but he doesn't want the job is the long and short of it. Um, and he uh, hands the reins over to Saturnius. <laughs> and that moment is essentially the moment that seals everyone's fate, right? Because that's the moment when the, the, Power is given to close. Okay. If Lavinia and Bassius didn't run away together, then it may it right. may have gone differently. The that's, idea that's I, 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 I don't that's think the, I don't think Titus was so blind as to give power over to somebody who was going to try to destroy his family. I think what he thought was that Lavinia would go willingly to Saturnius' side. Oh, I disagree. Didn't know that Saturnius was going to was going to want. No, her. I disagree because they were already betrothed, and actually, Bassius says a couple of times mm. that they are legally, lawfully betrothed. Right? That means something. That means that Bassius yeah. already went to Titus and had to ask permission. He had to ask for her hand, right? Because Lavinia does not get does not have choice. She is Titus's to give away, and so Titus already gave Lavinia to Bassius. So I don't think that. Uh, he thinks why, at all also, that then, then why would he slay his own son when Bassius takes Lavinia back and tries to escape with her? So I think he it's very clearly, I think very clearly backtracked on his deal and was willing to give Lavinia. No, he was willing. He was willing, but I think it's the same reason why. So he knows that Saturninus is not going to be a good ruler, right? He knows that Saturninus is not does not have the temperament for the job and that maybe he's not doomed, but definitely Rome is, right? Um, Saturninus is not a good choice, but I think that it's an interesting, um, the first sort of plot theme before it's about revenge, I actually think is about uh, uh, honor and how it relates to rule following, which is a very big theme for Shakespeare um, and for a lot of epic sort of heroic sure. tales, right? Which is that why does, my first question is as Titus as a character is why would he 
if he loves Rome so much that he's given 21 sons to fight for it and would give more willingly and has given his life to battle and is willing to gloriously die on the battlefield for the sake of Rome, then why does he choose such a fucking asshole of a of an emperor? Because, and it's because he he's the because next. He has a choice. He gets to choose. Throne? But Saturninus is the next in line. I was going to yes. say he's so the he eldest, doesn't think right? he has a choice. Right. He's right. rule right. following. Saturninus right. is the rightful heir. And so that's it's partly a cautionary tale about rule following and that sure. rule following and honor are not always the same thing. Well, th- that's true. But I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I think that you're this is still a, a play that was written uh, in Elizabethan England with uh, hereditary monarchy mm-hmm. and every play was written for the monarchy. Sure. So I, I do think that that belief in hereditary monarchy was just like belief in, you know, the divinity. I, I think that it, an honorable person at that time wouldn't pull a Caesar and take power for himself. I think he would. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today emperor in this case uh, and then give power to his to the to the next person in line and i do i think it's clear as day that when he slays his own son for betraying him that's what he was doing yeah because once saturninus wants to marry lavinia then he breaks his word because in a in a short saturninus now outranks bassius right whatever he's emperor now so whatever he wants Titus serves at the pleasure of the president, right? That's what it he's doing. It does feel like it's a cautionary tale of following the rules. Like Titus yes, it's a cautionary tale about into, blind into, into, rule into, following and to right. the point of subservience and and you know taking leave of your good judgment to right. do so. However, I'd also say it wasn't as it, 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 I don't believe that the play is saying that Titus should have just seized power too. The Titus was the people's choice, right? That was the idea. The idea right. was that the right. people, but but it's not a democracy. Everybody knows that. So Titus, over the course of this play, proves to not be the best leader either, right? Generals right. aren't necessarily the best leaders either. So uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's just as I don't know what, you know, you look at Shakespeare's entire output. I, I don't know what his feeling is on right leaders versus wrong leaders versus who should be leading versus how we should be doing it versus form of government. I think this, uh, I, I don't think th- this particular argument is baked in the way I think you guys might. Well, wait, so I have a question then that's just coming to me now, right? So if you go back to the like, um, the, uh, 
Aristotle's notion of duty, right, is that it's something that is required and that in order to, I think, I think his rule is something like, um, not everything is qualifies as duty. In order for something to qualify as duty, it has to be something that is required of you and also that you're not allowed to enjoy it. Like it actually has to be something you don't want to do okay. to be able to say you are doing your duty, right? Because um, it has to go against what you actually would want instinctively or what would bring you pleasure or joy. And that is why okay. duty is held so highly. It's the moment where you do the thing that's required even though you don't want to. And I was desperately looking for... Um, you know, I remember thinking about like studying Shakespeare in uh, in from the sixth grade all the way through college. And they're always like, you know, well, what's this character's what's the main flaw? <laughs> right. Like right, they always want right. you to be able to pinpoint the one the one flaw, what the one moment where it all hinges, where you go, ah, that's what's wrong with him. That's why all this happened. And I couldn't find it in the beginning. And I I'm wondering now if it isn't Shakespeare saying that part of the problem is that. Part of this comes from the fact that Titus shirked his duty. When Rome's when Rome asked him to serve, he just yeah. didn't want to. And maybe yeah. maybe that's not what you get to say. Maybe that's not what, you know, maybe Shakespeare's saying that's not what that's not what men do. That's not what leaders do. That's you know, I say men because 15th century mm-hmm. uh, or 1500s. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm wondering if there's anything there. Might not be. There's- no, I, I mean it's it certainly watching the beginning of this and watching sort of the 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 puzzle pieces or the chess pieces get kind of laid down in the first kind of you know twenty minutes, half hour, what have you of the, of the film. You you really do get the sense that Titus thinks it's all going to kind of work out. Like it, it doesn't. You don't get the impression that that this guy feels any real you know, foreboding sense of anything that's going to go wrong. Um, you know, the, the, the problem is that that ultimately he seems to be mostly surrounded by <laughs> lunatics and, uh, you know, and a couple good people, you know, within the, the, the Andronicus family. But for the most part, I think he just, there's too much trust in, in, in the, that, in the sort of the rules, if you will. It seems to be a trust in in that it's all going to kind of work itself out, which is kind of insane to think about. Like when you see what he's surrounded by, I mean, you I, you you know Alan coming for less than five minutes, and you're just like, this guy should not be running Rome. <laughs> sure, like, power is best served in the hands of those who don't crave it. Power is best served in the hands of those who don't crave it. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's like don't give this guy power, um, and immediately you're proven right. I mean, immediately you're just like, oh Jesus, the guy's been in power for. Two minutes, and he's he already like get one stealing scene. someone else's bride. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like this is all bad. His um, brothers, not just someone else's. His brothers, yes, correct. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, so I, I want to kind of keep moving just a little bit because I there's there's a tremendous scene. There's this turquoise lighting of this scene on the steps where you really get the sense of of. Tamara's sort of Lady Macbeth-ness and her really getting her hooks inside Saturnius. Um, and and she breaks the fourth wall so beautifully. Uh, that Only that one moment in the film where she basically says, like, buckle up, I'm going to fuck everybody over. Um, and it's it's just, it's, it's a really kind of amazing moment. Um, there is a fair amount of fourth wall breakage on, on uh, Aaron's character, the Harry Lennox mm-hmm. character, um, which... It didn't bump me. I guess my question to you guys is what are your thoughts on fourth wall generally? Because I'm not generally a big fan of it, but this being a play, this being the source material, it didn't bother me, but did did it work for you guys? Sure. 
Anyway, okay, cool. Yeah, it didn't bother. Um, I'm, I'm used. I think I just I'm used to it in Shakespeare. I expect yeah, it. So it doesn't right. sure. Yeah, yeah there's really yeah, the yeah. theater where where, char- where characters sure. would you know kind of ignore what was happening behind them and directly speak to the audience. Um, Here's a question: Who's the if you had to say the villain of this piece, who would you say that it is? Because I, when I look at the puppet mastery of this piece, Aaron feels like he's more of has more of an understanding of all the players and and how it's. I mean, he's 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 fine dying. I mean, he's fine. Like he's he's come to the. I mean, that's going to happen. So to him, it's just the pleasure of playing everybody to some degree. Do you feel as though? Or do you think it's Tamara? Or is it Saturnize? I don't know. I definitely don't think Tamara is the villain. Okay. Yeah, I think Saturnize is the villain. But he's a villain. Do you think he's the villain of the... the I I think he's probably the villain, but I also don't know if... You know, I I often search for the villain of the piece, and I often search for the the hero or the protagonist. Sure. Uh, I don't think this fits very neatly into into classic understandings of heroes and villains. It doesn't uh, actually, it doesn't even fit neatly into Shakespeare. Sorry to interrupt you. Because Shakespeare no. always has, like, if you think about, yeah. like, this sort of, like, Othello framing, like, there's always, like, the villain is always the person whispering in the ear, yeah. right? Would be, uh, yes. So it would be Aaron, but it isn't actually as neat and tidy in this. Well, because he gets a hero speech right before he's uh, supposed to be hung. He gets a kind of hero's burial, and it's his... <sighs> And if ever in my life, what is it? If ever in my on. life, one yeah. good deed, did so, I do one good deed? I do repent it with my very yeah. soul. It's incredible. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's just so fucking he's a cool good dude. in this. He's a cool dude. He's a cool dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's a cool dude. Like, I want to play um, Aaron. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a little, a, a, an interesting thing. So basically, at this point, Aaron starts to play. Is it, how do you say Jonathan Reese? Uh, Chiron? Chiron's character? Chiron? Chiron, okay. I think it's Chiron. Uh, and I, I read it Chiron. down. Chiron, Chiron and, Demetrius. and Demetrius. Right, played by Jonathan Reese Myers and Matthew Reese, the Reeses. Yeah. Um, they, uh, he basically plays them into uh, raping Lavinia. Um, Didn't have to work which, that hard. It was a hard sell. Did not have to work that hard, especially on on, on Chiron's character, who yes. was very much in love with her to begin with. Um the scene where he tells them is they're in this swinging bed, this suspended bed, which uh, apparently Julie Tamer wanted to represent the idea of babies in a cradle, which I thought was uh, was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this this hunting party um, in the woods, first of all, it's revealed that Tamara and Aaron are lovers at this point. I'm not sure that it had been revealed up until this point. Um, and then... Tamara essentially convinces or doesn't have to do much convincing that Aaron should use her sons to get revenge on Tamara or on, on Lavinia. Um, he suggested so, to her, I think, I think right, Aaron suggested to her. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I can't that. remember. I might be right. Yeah. Um, long story short, we get this scene in the woods where um, they kill Bassius. They throw him in a pit. Um, and, uh, Lavinia begs Tamara for, you know, pleads for her life essentially and says, please don't, she knows she's going to be raped. She knows what's going to happen. So she basically says, will you just kill me here? Right. She pleads for her modesty more than she pleads for her life. She actually ends up just begging her to be killed because my modesty might, I'll I'll die before my modesty. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Tamara doesn't care. Uh, she Lavinia is sort of taken away by her sons. Um, 
And then Aaron brings Titus's sons, uh, Meredith and Quintus, to the woods so they can stumble upon the body of Bassius, who they basically say Titus killed. Or sorry, it essentially frame them for the murder of Bassius. Yeah. So that wasn't a hard frame again, job. Like, it's all just stirring a shitstorm. It's all just like, how do we get these families to hate each other as much as humanly possible? So that no, it's okay no, no. For- it's, it's, it's how do we get revenge on Titus? I, I think well, yes, I think it's yes, very yes, sim- yes. I think it's very simple. He he sure. destroyed the Goth army. He <laughs> took you know the the queen and her sons and her uh, lover slave yep. whatever you want to yep. say uh, hostage and uh, killed the son and she all of a sudden found herself Correct. in a position of power and was you know in in a position to decimate this family. Which was, which I think, I think it's what, what the, I think that's what the movie is. I think when you look at it or the film is or the play is, I think when you, when you take the step back in terms of villains and heroes, well, you know, um, Rochelle, you know, you kind of, kind of looked at it from a 30,000 foot view of, you can't just look at this in in the turn, in the, in the context of, you know, life started when this play started and life ended when this play ended. Tamara had a you know a life before that. Who who knows who was conquered and who was you know who was the aggressor and who was the who was the aggrieved. And I'm guessing that the Romans went into their land and took right. them over right. because they are the you know the 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 empire. So I'm guessing she was living a fairly normal, quiet you know queen's life, and sure, she sure. was just you know destroyed. So in terms of you know who's the who's the Revenger in the, in this case, I think it's her, and I think if this play, sure. if this play was framed differently, she's a heroic character, and then right, the, right. and then the tragedy is that this horrible monster Titus, you know, uh, did what he did at the end. Um, so I uh, I don't remember what I was saying, but you but yeah, no, I, I think it's I mean a, a detail that should be mentioned is that Tamara marries Saturnius, um, so. So they be essentially because she's hot. What well, she's well, I would like to sort of unpack Saturnius's his sexuality seems somewhat ambiguous to some degree or another. I, I'm not sure. There's like a, more of like a, a mother son dynamic. It is very. It has them. that Freudian sort of betting your yeah. mother feel. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. So there's that. And obviously, and, and, casting Alan Cumming is a choice as well. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, who, who? The only other movie he's in in '99 is Eyes Wide Shut. He's obviously fantastic in his one scene in Eyes Wide Shut. But I just think it's interesting. This is sort of, this is kind of his big. This is his biggest role, but it's it's a moment for him. It feels like it builds a lot of uh, a scene for his career. Um, but 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 the 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 reason I wanted to bring it up is just to realize so that our listeners understand that Tamara is now in in a position of power, as you mentioned, Kenny. Like mm-hmm. she can now really wield uh you know her power in order to get her revenge on on titus at this point um and and in in what i would argue is the most haunting scene in this movie that certainly the moment that that i is burned in my brain after seeing it in the theater um we find lavinia um having been having been raped by by tamara's sons her hands chopped off twigs put where her hands are and her tongue cut out um she's discovered by marcus uh confior sorry important to note they do that so that aaron has them do that so that they she can never she can never write or say who did this to her 
Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, so when Marcus finds her, Marcus we, being Titus's brother, her brother. Uncle. Correct. Uh, finds her standing on a, a tree stump, surrounded by all these burned out trees, um, and she he he asks her to speak. And just this flood of blood comes out of her mouth in the wind. Um, it, it, it's a it's a stunning image. Uh, it, it's one of those things that just sort of kind of stops you in your tracks a little bit um, for obvious reasons. But also, it has to have that power because it's really sort of the main thrust of the second half of the movie for all intents and purposes in terms of setting Titus on a course. Whether we want to say it's actual madness or not is obviously open to interpretation as we said earlier but it does feel like it is the it's the breaking point for him i don't know if you guys agree that 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 feels like the moment yeah it's also a great moment of foreshadowing yes like here's what's to come <laughs> lots of blood lots of um, blood yeah yeah that sort of sums up the whole film that single image <laughs> Yeah, she she so apparently Tamer based the image um, on uh, Edgar Degas' ballerina on a pedestal, the painting that he did, mm. um, which I think is interesting. Um, but essentially, uh, Marcus brings her to Titus uh, and Lucius. Uh, they obviously are are infuriated by the situation. Aaron enters and says that um, the emperor it's, will spare the. It's horrible. Sorry. I don't want to like. I don't want to even. Yeah, no, I don't mean to yeah, breeze over. I, it. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> Sitting it for a minute, um, because yeah, it is absolutely. such an arresting image, an arresting notion. You know, you certainly here. This is more of a medieval thing than a Shakespearean thing, but you know, medieval torture and medieval, you know, like like kind of gothic torture and 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 body horror and mutilation and that kind of stuff. Um, but to see it so starkly depicted on screen in a yeah. modern day adaptation, uh, which I agree with you, Phil, it has to be. Um, is is it's arresting it's really kind of shocking and uh you i mean i've seen thousands of movies uh and, and i watch a lot of horror i'm rarely kind of thrown but i was i was thrown my stomach was turning and then yeah. to uh to have that not be the moment before she dies but instead have her be a character who remains in the narrative until basically the last scene with twigs for her hand and and un, hands and unable to speak. Wow, you never forget what they did to her. You never it, you, you never, never forget what happened what happened to this character. And I also want to point out yeah, she's played by Laura Fraser, who um, mm-hmm. who I didn't realize had much of a career before Breaking Bad, but she's so amazing in Breaking Bad. I love her so much. Uh, she's clearly had a career before that, but um, yeah. She's, she's, so she's also, shout this. out to people who are with me who like um, historical drama, fantasy, just, you know, period pieces of any kind. Uh, she's also fantastic in A Knight's Tale. <laughs> uh, you know what? I that's, that's She is in A Knight's Tale. She's great. So is Paul yeah. Bettany, by the way. So is Heath Ledger. A Knight's like, Tale is the a, cast. A Knight's Tale is a movie that people... About that movie, but, People you know, sleep on that movie. I agree with well, you. Yeah, but it's, she's it's, really it's not great. Not very in good, it. but you guys are great. I love both. <laughs> but Laura wow. Frazier is. Wow, I saw it pretty you, recently. That's a that's the movie's terrible. You like that? Movie? No, I like that movie. I <laughs> no, like I like it movie. for what it is. I anything. It's a cute movie. It's a cute movie. It's a very yeah. cute oh, movie. Yeah. But I, I only went cute. there to oh, say Laura. that Laura Frazier is and to be great in a movie that you're now going. That's not a good movie, which it may not be. I'm just saying she's fantastic, even in that container. She's great. That's how I feel about that movie. That's not a good movie. 
And also, uh, <laughs> it's such a bad movie. I watched it like like uh, like like a year ago tops. Right so my pandemic. only point is that it is very challenging to be really grounded and really real and really good in a movie that can that like that. And so she is. That's all I'm saying. Yes, I, I, I'm sure, I, I'm sure I, that's true. I um, I don't hate that movie. Uh, I, I vividly remember enjoying the David Bowie uh, needle drop of them golden dancing to Golden Years. years. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's. I, I liked the uh, anachronistic music choices in that film. Um, so there. Um, but so I there. think now I know uh, what I'm coming back for. <laughs> Um, so I want to kind of at this point basically Aaron says if one of you cuts off your hand the emperor will let the sons go is is long and short of it Uh, they then debate over who's going to cut off their hand which I think is you know this movie has some serious gallows humor, which we'll get into, um, which I adore about it. But um, basically, uh, Titus says, fine, I'm cutting off my hand. Uh, there's a great moment in the kitchen where Aaron has this giant butcher's knife. He's about to cut off his hand. And he looks at him like, you sure you want to do this? And Titus doesn't even like blink. He's like, yeah, cut off my fucking hand. Like, that's, that's what has to happen. Uh, he chops off his hand. <laughs> then this truck shows up straight out of a Terry Gilliam movie with this crazy yeah. like wonky music cue. It's awesome. And it's fucking amazing. And they roll up this like metal gate. Oh, door that's that window. that doesn't happen right after. That it happens happen a little right. later. It's, it's, it's yes, 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 there's yes. there's time, but I'm just my point is to, to get Because the hand is go. in the truck. Yeah. The hand is in the truck, uh, you know, bookended by the heads of his sons. Um, and it's just such a like tremendous fuck you moment of just being like, this is so out of your control, Titus. Like, there's no way that you're going to, you know, you're going to regain control of the situation. Um, I, one of my favorite parts, speaking of the gallows humor in that scene is Titus telling Lavinia to grab his severed hand between her with teeth. Her, uh, uh. With her teeth. It's so fucked up. Like, I just, I, I, I adore it, but it's, um, <laughs> It's just, I think it's, I just think that this movie obviously is like, what humor lies in this film is in that weird little sliver of like, you know, dark humor. Otherwise, like the movie is just like bleak and like unrepentant. It's just really, so I I embrace the dark comedy in it, but. Yeah, I think um, she does too. I think, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the Reese's entire performance. Yes. Is you know yes. the, the, this over the top stuff? I think that Alan Cumming is playing it as big and hilarious yes. as possible. Totally. Um, I think that you're right. I think there's this Terry Gilliam ish, this almost Costa Rica idea of just yes. you know we we are we are we have gone through some kind of Rubicon into some insane netherworld, uh, and I think that it's important to um, yeah. to to lighten it up in the way in the in the absurdest way that she's lightened it up because. For sure. Otherwise, I, I could see a I could see a staging of this that um, ends in the mass suicide of the audience. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I think I, I think you do have to I think you do have to play some shit for goof. For sure, I do. I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin. Uh, I don't want to ruin our our like light comedy talking about the interludes, which are so important with um, you know adding yes. serious things like themes. But I'm going to. Um, I, I think that also. Um, so I kept thinking about the opening, right? Every time I saw these Terry Gilliam characters, I kept thinking about the opening where uh, young Lucius is in the kitchen playing with his action figures, right? Um, and so my first thought about that in terms of who, these, who this character is with these weird 
goggles on his head, who scoops up him up out of the kitchen, then is the person who delivers the heads, like this, yep. you know, yep. um, this character. <laughs> and I uh, and I thought at first, I thought, oh, this is interesting. It's sort of like, well, maybe her point is that um, what's happening in Titus is it's like these action figures, the action figures he's playing with are specific. They are the soldiers, right? They are the characters in Titus when you look at them. And so um, that actually, like, human behavior really is just that fucking random. And it had that sort of feel of like, um, you know, Shakespeare's uh, life is a life is a tale told by a fool. What's the God? We all know the one, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that it sort of felt like that's what she was acting out in the beginning. And then we walk into what would happen if all that came to life? This sort of random, I'm going to make this character smash this character. And then this character is going to rip out this action figure's hands. And then, you know, and, and and at the risk of being really crass and reminding us all about lesser moments in our childhoods, we do take our Barbies and make them like fuck each other and do all kinds of weird shit. And you know what I mean? Like, at least I did. And I know sure, many people sure, who do. Sure, and yeah. so there's, we do play with these dolls in the way yes. that she kind of, this film sort of feels like that, like that oh, come to life. And then I sort of rethought it again in the moment where this guy reappears to be the dude who returns the heads. And when he shows up to return the heads, and then I thought, well, maybe actually what she's saying is that this is the world young Lucius has inherited. I think this guy is the messenger, right? He's the messenger who returns the hands with the heads. Maybe in the beginning, he's not the kidnapped kidnapper. Maybe he's the messenger. Come young Lucius and see what we have. See your future. See what you are inheriting. Mm -hmm. And that's why Lucius is walking off with the baby. The same way that, did you notice that he carries Lucius like a baby uh, mm-hmm. off into the into the first scene the way that Lucius young Lucius Just then picks the up Aaron's yeah. baby yeah. and carries him off right it's sort of like almost yeah. like she's saying uh this is I know your childhood was hard but this is the shit that came before you Sure, and sure, this is sure, what you've sure. inherited. And this is why your situation and humanity and your life is so fucked up. And you actually yep. have this choice in the end, or do you? Are things going to be different or aren't they? So I do think this weird Terry Gilliam character is actually kind of a, is it really a, maybe Could a larger be. framing device than what we're, than just the, the humor. It definitely is. I mean, there, it, is that it way too is, nerdy? That was a nerdy. No, movie. no, no. It certainly, I, I, it certainly totally. isn't an accident that this character yeah. reappears at this moment. Um, I do th- think about what you said. Uh, I do think it puts the story of Titus Andronicus. Um, it, it gives it a a a weight mm-hmm. that I'm not trying to say it doesn't deserve. I am trying to say I'm surprised that that's what because I agree with everything you said by the way uh, that that's what Tamor took from this that for a young person growing up at this period of time be it 99 or I think this was more like this felt more like it was set you know in the 70s something like that mm-hmm. right um, for, but for a young person who was growing up in the 20th century the tale you need to hear to understand how we got here is the tale of Titus Andronicus. Um, and I do, I, 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 yeah, that's, 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 I think that there is a certain extremeness to this particular play mm-hmm. that does, in its extremeness, explain how we got here. You know, sure. I, I, Hamlet's not the same. 
right? Hamlet, all the all the violence is basically kept within the confines of one family, right? And that explains a different story to different people about different things. But this explains how small feuds can have these tentacles that go outward and then come back inward. That you're that that no matter who you are, you're not immune from the violence that happens. You know that 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 emanates from small rooms with emperors and generals and also those people because despite being in small rooms are not immune from it. I do. I, I, yeah, I think this, I think that there's a lot of power in the grotesqueness of this mm-hmm. play um, as ridiculous as it is at times in explaining what's, what's been happening for the last forever. Well, it's interesting because what sure. you just described is war. <laughs> Right. You just described war like these 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 sort of smaller interpersonal or over one thing or whatever it is. Right. That these that that, that only certain people get to be in the room. And then when they can't resolve it, that ripples outwards. And then you have war, which then ripples back inwards into individual homes. And what you've just described is war. So now I'm I'm wondering if it's not also like a really great way um, to because people were either desensitized to war in this period, both in the Roman period and the time of Shakespeare, right? Either desensitized to war or or glorified glorified it, Mm -hmm. right? So this is not that. This is neither desensitizing you to war and and its implications and how uh, people are impacted, uh, nor is it glorifying it in any way. So I don't know, maybe even for Shakespeare, it's a unique take. Like what's he, what's he saying? Well, he doesn't talk about war very much, right? He talks about, like, there are very few Shakespearean plays that take place in and in near or around the battlefield, right? They're about the fallout of it, though, right? The, like, don't well, they, they about, could be like, about yeah, the fallout. Yeah. They could be about the sure. time going right. up to it. They could yeah. be about pursuits of power, but they're generally pursuits yeah. of power within the walls of a palace. Right. Um, right. And within the confines of one family or one country. Um, this is unusual in that way. And it's bookended uh, by it. It's bookended by a war on each right. end. Yeah. Yep. It's unusual in that I, way, but I do, I, I you know, I, I think I understand why some people, you know, like the critic you read earlier, I understand why some people look at this as having nothing to say. Yeah. And there are also some people who say that there's, you know, <laughs> that that, that well, yeah. war is chaos. War is you know, war is war is anarchy. There, are, you know, there there is nothing to be to be said or learned from war either. They, there, it does it does feel appropriate given the the subject matter. Yeah, for I, Roger Ebert to call it a film without a point seems to me just like maybe he didn't want to do the work after. Well, which is weird too because he speaks of it so highly in terms of of mm-hmm. it being filled with so many ideas and then says it that was weird to say. I agree. it's it's, it's he just disagreeing with himself because you can't have a film without a point and have it be a good film right right um i i, I know that we grown uh, ups too oh jesus christ um <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I, I know that uh, I know you have a hard out result, so I want to hit a couple things before uh, before we we need to let you go. You can um, have an extra five minutes because it's you. Oh, look this at the you two of you. That's five minutes. No. Uh, I because you let talk me go on and on and on. The moment where uh, Marcus gives uh, Lavinia a stick so she can write out the names of her attackers. Um, 
is intercut with, and there's a couple moments of this with the film, it, within the film, which is if there's something that's a visual stamp of Julie Tamer, it is these sort of visual. I, they're they're almost like art pieces, really. It's this sort of moving visual moment of sort of uh, people in costumes and colors and and sort of this really overtly outside the realm of the world that we live in. Um, and in this particular moment, we see Lavinia. It looks like she's sort of like a, a deer, if you will. And the the sons are these lions and tigers attacking her with this aggressive sort of like heavy metal score and this blue lighting and this sort of, uh, you know, jump cutty kind of craziness. Um, it's it's incredibly powerful. There's a couple moments of it Um in, in arguably the most powerful moments of the film when she really wants to sort of hammer home what she's trying to say. Um, she, she goes even farther with this visual aesthetic in Across the Universe as well. Um, it's why, and, and, and I don't mean, this is going to sound maybe dumber than it should, but, and I tweeted this a little while ago, but like Julie Tamer's uh, Marvel movie to me would be just an unbelievable extra. Like I would love to see her be let loose in, in sort of a really, uh, uh, just larger than life circumstance. Not that this film isn't that, but I just feel like she, for whatever reason, seems to have backed away from this aesthetic over the past few years, which is a bummer because I think that she's so visually arresting and such a beautifully visual filmmaker. Um, so we have this moment uh, where, where, where that happens. I want to jump ahead because it's important for us to talk about the end of this film, obviously. Um, Basically, we get to this place where Tamara, convinced of Titus's madness, approaches him with her two sons dressed as the spirits of revenge, murder, and rape, where we get another sort of moment of... What's amazing about this moment is we get another one of these visual sort of situations where we were in sort of inside Titus's head, where we're seeing what we think is them dressed up as these three characters only to realize that they're outside his window actually dressed up like these characters. So, so it's not, which is, I mean, she's dressed up as revenge and she's got these knives, this helmet of knives coming out of her head. And it's it's so, it's it's so homespun though. I, it's like, it's it's hysterical. The handles of the knives are there. Are there. They're, they're, they're kitchen knives. <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's exactly like you said, like they made these at home. They made these costumes at home. Right. It's phenomenal. Um, and basically. I think Titus Jonathan Reese Myers is wearing a bra, I think. <laughs> like, yes, he's in a really great bra, garters, and like, a, I think, and like a, like a great pair of like hipster 1950s or 60s yes. sort yes. of like lingerie set. That's his yeah. version of rape, quote unquote. It's him just dressed up in these crazy garters. Yeah. It may have um, been his version. He's wild in this movie. Like, let's he's wild. Like, like, like Matthew Reese, who I love in the Americans, and I have sure. like affinity for him as like he as as, sure. a, as a cultural figure. I kind of like his vibe a lot. Uh, to me, is sweating so hard in this movie. I'm not, oh, oh, oh I didn't sure. think so. You both thought uh, that. Well, he I just think feels he a little is. like he's punching out of his weight class, just a little. That's bit. what I and and whereas Jonathan oh, Myers wow. to me is is it. fully he's in the, it. He is the thing. <laughs> yeah. He is he is the, he is so the real deal yes. in this to me. But that, that's how that's how I felt. I I, 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 I just I, saw them as yeah. like just two different 
Yeah, no, I didn't think that about Matthew Reese. I thought that Jonathan Reese Myers was just sort of the more, the more kind of like naive romantic of the two, you know, the like yes. in terms of the way sure. he came across it. Well, yeah. it's interesting because like, to, to, just to rewind very briefly, Jonathan Reese Myers is the one who's legitimately in love, in love with, with her. Or mm-hmm. at least lusts for her, whether or not he loves her is... Uh-huh. Whereas his brother... Well, he's at an age where those two things are the same thing. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. <laughs> yeah. And his brother's just an asshole. Like, his brother's just like... His brother just seems he's like a, a psychopath. Like a monster, like a psychopath. Yeah. Um. So, it for him to play murder makes sense, obviously, and for, for Jonathan to play rape makes sense under the circumstances. Yes. Um, so, basically, Titus lures them into his house... Um and uh and slits their throats, um and uh and says that uh, he plans to cook them in a pie for their mother, um and 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 then he does it. Uh, basically, there's this inc- <laughs> there's, there's this incredible there's this hard cut to this playful almost a Jean-Pierre Genet shot of these pies steaming in the window with this like just jubilous score in the background and Anthony Hopkins so in love with this it's great he basically becomes the the chef from Little Mermaid from Level. Oh, I was gonna say the Swedish chef, or yeah, the he's chef, like, from, Little, he's got the chef from the Little chef Mermaid is Le Poisson. Le Poisson. He may as well be he may as well be dancing and clicking his heels and singing in the background <laughs> as he feeds him this pie. It is it, it well, is so but, unhinged. But, I I I. I I hesitate to use that word because I think it means nothing, but it is so unhinged uh, and I love it it's, so deeply. It's, I, no, I, it's, it's the only joy he has left and he knows he's yes. going to die at the end of it. It's yes. his yes. last, yes. it's his last I'm true pleasure sure. on this earth. Yeah. Well, we should also just not to, not to skip over a pretty significant detail is that, so, so Titus wheels in a comically large meat pie. Like it is giant fucking gigantic. Uh, and he's cuts off slices, there, puts there them on people people's plates. It. There are people in it, correct. Uh, Grown men. They, they are, it is a very uh, rare pie too. Like oh yeah, isn't that like, so it's, gross? It's, how it's like it's really so like red. still like it's, super it's, red. and it's, it's, Eyeballs. Yeah. So Titus asks Saturnius what a father should do if his daughter's been raped. And basically Saturnius says, oh, you should kill her. So Titus snaps his daughter's neck in front of everybody. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Why did you do this? <laughs> and then uh, and then he gleefully runs. Like there's this amazing shot of him running alongside saying, you hate your sons. They're in that pie. <laughs> I know it's <laughs> It's like he's just pointing and gleefully just running around. And then Tamara sticks her hand down her throat to like literally like trying to claw out the children that she's eaten essentially. And then he stabs her through the throat with one of the knives that looks very similar to the knives that she had on her head. Um, And then the music turns to a full on fucking like heavy metal. Saturnius jumps up, runs across the table, gets a candelabra. Bites no, one of the candles, uh, a candlestick. Well, it's three. Is it a candelabra, a chandelier with candles? I don't know. Maybe All right. it's a can- Either way, it's got <laughs> it's three a, candles. It's a menorah, Phil. Uh, sure. He bites one of the candles off with his mouth, stabs Titus through the, through the gut, and then Lucius grabs Saturnius, drags him along the table. The way the plates stack behind him is just amazing. They're all curved, and it just like... 
He drags him across the table, takes a giant spoon, and just forces uh, it down his throat. Oh, the spoon it's is amazing. It is tremendous stuff. I would say my only nitpicky thing is I didn't love the freeze frame kind of janky t- time freeze matrixy thing that kind of happened when he spit on his body. But I, I liked it. That was wild. That was wild. That it's was wild. like it's with wild. the spit in midair. I mean, nobody pre- nobody gives Titus any credit for bullet time. Bullet time. But it was right there. <laughs> spit time. Yeah. Yeah. Spit it's, time. I mean, it is it is just it's a fucking incredible ending. Like this movie just goes full bore hardcore crazy at the end. And I adore every second of it. This play, which ends, by the way, the last frame of it is, uh, well, not the last frame of it, but like, you know, where it then sort of widens out and they're in the middle of the Coliseum with a modern day audience watching this take place as though they've been watching a play the whole time. Yep. Yep. That's Um, what I was like. Because like in the moment, I'm just like, but now, a little distance, That was what a joy! What a joy! What a joy! It was it was the only way to come out of that. It was a it was a bloody bacchanal. It was a revenge bacchanal, right? And so, how do you come out of that? And for her to for her to use that device to go to the audience to remind us that we are those people to see essentially see yourself on screen Mm -hmm. as an audience member, then watching it to like pull you out of it. I thought was just because she takes you so far in and then pulls you the, the, again, the, the 30,000 yes. mile, whatever, you know, view is like all, she goes, takes you all the way in and then all the way out. She's yeah, really, well, that, that's when it becomes, that's when it becomes funny. Right. So like, it's funny the whole time, right. but that's when, it, that's when you're, you're given permission to laugh. That's when you're given permission to remind yourself that this is a play. And I, I'm not, I, I, I am a, a person who takes a little offense to uh, to filmmakers and other people who uh, who who try to point out that we're voyeurs when we watch films that we're being voyeuristic, um, I think you can go fuck yourselves. Um, I, <laughs> uh, don't How do you call, really feel though? Don't call. Yeah. Don't 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 throw shade in my direction. When you don't are call making, me voyeur. Don't call me voyeur. Don't <laughs> <laughs> because it be it don't yeah, don't call me voyeur and don't throw shade in my direction when you are making art for public consumption. That's a load of fucking shit. Did and you think, think she that, was throwing shade? Wait, you're no, so angry. No, no, Is that what no, you thought? No, no, no. no. Okay. No, no, no. I that I was gonna say that's exactly what I don't think she is doing. She is right. she is reveling in the joy of theater at that point. Mm-hmm. She is reminding you how much fun this is because it's not real life. How much you are allowed to laugh at something she intended as a comedy. You don't have a mid-air fucking loogie. In something, in something, in something that you that you are meant to to feel horrified by. It is, it is, it is so freeing to have her pull back that way. So yes, that I don't think that's what she's doing. I do think when you're in like when you're Phil, you probably got this all the time in film school because it seems to be something like film professors are obsessed with that we're complicit in watching these people get murdered. No, we're not. We are not. That is not true. Okay, that's it. 
Um, also, by the way, I, I uh, this is obviously a podcast, but you, we, we could hear you laughing. And then in the video, but, and you won't, you didn't hear me laughing that whole time. And then in the video, if anybody's for people who are, because we're recording yeah, yeah. this, oh, yeah. uh, you'll see that I wasn't laughing the way that the two of you were like howling, like it was a kind, kept referring to it as a comedy. And I, I couldn't participate. Um, I'll tell you why, because I actually didn't think it was funny, but that's not to say that I wasn't like enjoying it. We were My howling. experience of it was not as, my my experience of it was not as at all as comedic. It was I was delighted by it because it was so satisfying. Yes, 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 yes. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like, yes. and that's not to say that it isn't funny or that you're having. It's not to correct your reactions at all. Like, I actually that's the, that is why we're here because people watch films and they have different experiences, and that's so valid and so important. I just my experience was just that I was like, I was almost like it was gross how I was tickled. Like I was just so, it was so fucking satisfying. I was like, yes, like this is how it should end. You know, it's of a piece. It's of a piece, and they have been building up to it for the whole time. Hundred percent. In no way, the the message of this movie in no way was don't watch vulgar movies. And I feel like so many movies that no, and I feel like of course not. And I feel like so many movies and so many television shows and plays or whatever are like, you guys really fucked up for wanting this. Eat. Fucking shit. Okay, let's rate and uh, let's rate. Okay, let's rate this guy. Uh, so uh, in '99, saw this in the theater. Quite liked it. I probably would have given it an 82. I thought it was great. I'm not sure that I completely got everything that was going on in it, and um, but I think that's why I really liked it. Uh, before this podcast, I went up to an 88. I thought it was just it really floored me. But this conversation has just made me love it that much more. I'm at a 93. Like I, I think that this movie is just. And, and it comes back to what you were what you were just saying, Rochelle. Like it it tickles me how much this movie is barreling towards a conclusion. There's an inevitability towards this film where it's just like every one of these people fucking sucks. They're all monsters. They all deserve to die. Um, but we're gonna do it in a way that's kind of entertaining. And like that's just I I, I appreciate the knowingness of this movie. Every. I, as much as we had our whole discussion about Anthony Hopkins and, and, and Julie Tamer's interpretation of the character of Titus, it's clear that everyone knows what they're making here. Like, I think that everyone's on the same page for the most part, and it's a film that just feels so confident. Like, we've talked a lot, Kenny, I mean, just in terms of intent and filmmakers and 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 why they make things, how they make things, and all of that. Um, this is a first film, and it is a fucking masterpiece, uh, just a master class. And I hope that Julie Tamer gets to make more films. I hope that she makes bolder films and crazier films because I just really love how she sees the world. Um, so I, I'm 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 a fan. Kenny, all right. what, do you, what do you what do you got? Uh, this is what, this is what I got. Uh, never saw it before. Um, after this movie, I said uh, it's a ninety-one. I said, "What a goddamn movie! What an epic! What a triumph! Chef's kiss." Uh, I'm gonna stay at a ninety-one. I think that's about what uh what, what I think it is. Um, Rochelle is obviously only capable of moving me up and not moving me down. Not that she would move me down with this film. <laughs> Um, but, uh, it is, it is, you know, it is a little bit weird to just come on and talk about a movie we all love with Rochelle. We're going to have to have her on for a shitty movie. bring her on for something that I she will, loves. I'm telling you, have me on for a night's tale. It's the wrong year. But. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm not oh, watching boy. a night's tale voluntarily, but no, what no. I, what I, but I'm, what I'm interested in is if you have like, if you had that like public defender thing where if we gave you like a movie that is just, just fucking dead to rights guilty, if you could like. Absolutely challenge that is innocent challenge accepted. challenge. All right, we're gonna accepted. find we're gonna find we're gonna something find for one. you. Yeah, I know great. you are. 
I know. All right. What do you got, Rochelle? Um, so yeah, so before, uh, I only had my memory of having seen it, um, when it came out, uh, that memory was like a 90 because I just, I I couldn't remember anything about the movie as the story tells you me calling Phil and going, what? (laughs) I think I have the wrong movie. What's happening? Um, so, but I, but I remembered, uh, you know, as Maya Angelou would say, how it made me feel. Um, so I, I just, I was like, oh yeah, that was so fucking good. I loved it so much. It was so, it was a 90 for me and I was so excited to watch it. Then I was deeply confused for about a minute. Um, and then I got back in the saddle. I was like, I know what this is. And I, um, I loved it. And I think I was a 90, I was still a 90 after I watched it. This conversation has me, um, uh, 91 and 93 are taken. So I'm going to squat on 92. I'm going to take that as mine. Um, and the reason is because, uh, this conversation just, yeah, like all the themes and everything, but the thing that really kept it there for me, um, put it there originally and kept it there is that it is both, it's genius in the way that it both does this maddening. It's unapologetic. It's full throttle committed up until the end. It's so satisfying, but also, uh, she never for once lets go of, the characters um like just just performance wise just like the characters motivation each character is so clear and it never feels like anything they do is manufactured for plot device i know we can credit that a lot to shakespeare um but also <laughs> in translations those things sure. can get um mutilated and marred and she didn't and it was great it's it's a great movie. It's uh, for our listeners, you know, it's a tough movie to find. Um, it's on DVD. You yes, can buy the DVD. Find, um, it's not unfortunately streaming anywhere at the moment. Not quite sure why, um, but uh, seek it out. It's worth it. Rent it from the library. Go get the the DVDs where you can. And even uh, though next, even though it's yeah. also produced by uh, Stephen Steve Bannon, uh, yeah. Steve Bannon, <laughs> you can just ignore that one. Yeah. Oh, um, we. I didn't want to get did into see, that because it's a whole thing, but he is. He's he, accredited he, producer. The, 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 the short, very, very that. short, brief version of this is that he wrote a script of Titus Andronicus with a friend of his that took place in space in 91. And he was obsessed with Titus Andronicus. So he optioned Julie Tamer's Broadway play version of it. Which but he, he had nothing to do with this movie. And she's, which, yeah, so it's... And it's, yes, but, she has n- but it should surprise no movie, one. He, he is a credited producer, so... Uh, he's a credited he, producer. You know, and look, then later hey. in his political career got to live out Titus Andronicus I was just going to say, <laughs> it's just surprise no one that he loves Titus Andronicus. Uh, yes. Next week, we are doing a film that no one, I'm sure, has watched or cares about, uh, but it's a fun movie. Uh, it's more like... No, it's a fun episode. It's a terrible it's movie. It's a bad movie. It's more yeah. like Steve Bannon's political career, this movie. Wait, I have to yes. say one other thing, which is, sure, um, sure. given that it's 2021 and everything that has happened in the in the last 18 months, um, and and... And historically, in general, um, you know, we did not, uh, we did, we did not, whether we didn't choose to or it just didn't go there, but we did not uh, tackle the themes of uh, very present in Shakespeare and, and many plays of his time of Aaron being a more and right. you know the the really overt just um, racism in it, and we didn't tackle that. And I just uh, we're not going to tackle it now because we would do it properly. But just also want to say that it's worthy to note that that was not lost on any of us. Certainly, Correct. and should be yeah, taken seriously by any viewer and is ripe for exploration. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> next week, we're doing a movie called The Very Thought of You, which stars Monica Potter and uh, Joseph Fiennes with uh, our, our uh, past and future guest, Clay Keller, the co-creator of the Screen Drafts podcast and a number one Monica Potter fan. He's coming on to talk about that with us. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great episode. It's a bad movie. But, Rochelle. 
more importantly, it's available so on Paramount Plus. Back. Go watch it. It is available on Paramount <laughs> Plus, my favorite streaming app. Anyway, uh, yes, support Paramount Plus. Uh, Rochelle, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Titus with us. Of course, thank you. And I look forward to coming back to make you love whatever piece of crap oh. you pick out for me. I'm on Grouchland. I'm gonna I'm, I'm going to send you I'm I'm gonna send you the list. It's gonna be amazing, and we can't wait. Thank you so much, Rochelle. Lots of love. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.